BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Anyway, she goes to bed. I open up a box of apartments. I light up. I call myself a cognac. And I watch the 14 fists of McCluskey. What a picture. Yo, homie, that my briefcase? Couldn't start asking the right fucking questions. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Ramen Rant. I'm your host, Blake Howard. Look, thank you so much for your ongoing, incredible support of everything we do at One Hey Minute Productions. Um, even the modest amount that you contribute is a huge help um, to everything that we do, whether it's hosting, whether it's equipment, whether it's um, my time. It's just amazing. So thank you so much. Thank you for subscribing to the main channels and definitely the Patreon. So I thought I would try and spoil you rotten with the Patreon as we ran into Christmas and New Year, um, having on a dynamic trio of uh, lovely ladies, Maria Lewis and I um, always do a year-end list, so you're going to hear that probably on the 1st of Jan or 2nd of Jan, our time. Um, a great author, Dr. Jody McAllister, who um, is a friend of Maria and I. Um, we're going to do some uh, Christmas recommendations, his and her. But before we do that, before I counter-program Jody's uh, current Christmas recommendations for the ladies out there, I am talking to one of my favorite human beings in the entire world about a movie that is so bleak and depressing and awful and just as some of the worst most visceral trashy content of all time but that we find deeply comforting because deeply comforting whatever yeah. flaws that we have uh, are on show uh that is of course uh the incredible roxana Haddadi. rox seeing your hey, face man. it's so yeah. happy to see you i I'm know so... i miss it i wish i could touch it <laughs> but, it you is know... it is deeply sweaty right now as i said i literally ran out from <laughs> mowing the lawn into this so um yeah my most uh, butch introduction yet but girl with the dragon tattoo i saw yeah. you tweet about it the other day uh someone was talking about you know counter programming christmas movies Mm -hmm. everyone's sick of the is die hard or not a christmas movie that happens every 12 months it's so boring can't do it can't do it anymore no. over it do not yeah. engage do not engage mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> pick another mm -hmm. hill to die on but i loved that you just sort of casually was like hey go with the dragon tattoo it's about family conflict it happens in like this snowy thing a lot of people hate each other for me mm -hmm. this is a christmas movie and i was like yes it's is a christmas movie because it just it makes you feel that bone cold it's pulpy families are fighting i mean if if christmas is about anything it's about families fighting for me Ross. Yeah, absolutely <laughs> if christmas is about anything it's about like long-held secrets coming to the forefront over too many drinks to deal with yes. the fact that you're stuck in the same place together yes and it's cold and it's dreary and it's just <laughs> 
exploded with chaos. (laughs) My one of my uncles has this great house, this big house they've had for a long time. And what's great about it is it's like multi-tiered, and so because my family on my dad's side is quite large, it ends up having Mm -hmm. like these breakaway Mm because everyone's got kids now, and it's just these big breakaway groups. And what happens is I just feel like. I feel like I totally could do, you know, one of those like one shot scripts of what it's like walking through that house because you almost walk up knowing that the group in whatever room you're in has either been talking shit about you or one of your relatives. And then they walk up and like, hi, how are you? Is everything good? And then you go, cool. And you walk away and you can almost hear the mutter that motherfucker. Yeah, that asshole. (laughs) That 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 stuff. False tear. That like fakeness <laughs> is so central to Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. And mm-hmm. we specifically are talking about Fincher's version, which yes. is not to say that the European versions are bad. They're good. Hindumi Pace is good. Like all of that bit. Yeah. But like, I think we've talked about Fincher before. Like, Fincher's, of course we have. We've talked about Zodiac. Fincher's like, <laughs> sterile cold detached sort of filmmaking ideology and atmospherics fit so perfectly with this content and also I would argue fit so perfectly for all those different like Christmas reasons we've just talked about like Christmas is a great holiday I enjoy it very much despite being like a Muslim atheist (laughs) There's so many, at least in America, I will say. Um, and I still think that this is a very American movie, yes. despite being set in Europe. Um, Christmas has all these like performative qualities, right? It is very much about the presupposed rituals that are part of getting together and that are part of quote unquote what makes this time family time, right? Yes. So, like, what happens when your family not just hates each other, as we all joke about, right? Like, oh, God, like, you're going to be stuck with my family. Like, it's going to be terrible, blah, blah, blah. What if your family actively? (laughs) (laughs) And unabashedly. And unabashedly. Unabashedly, like, is defined and identified by how much you hurt each other. Yes. And I think that is really what worked so well in this film is that everybody is fucked up and really everybody is fucked up for some sort of familial reason, either what they have done to somebody else or what has been done to them. And that sort of like deep, like carnal cosmic pain is I think what gives this movie like it's very propulsive energy and it still has, I think, like a beating heart underneath all of this like deep cynicism. Um, and I think Fincher's movies always do. I think there's always some sort of like emotional through line. He is always looking at how terrible the world is and trying to reconcile with the belief of like, is this always how it's going to be? Right? Like, yes. The final line of seven, like, if this is all that we're <laughs> fighting for, right? Like if this is it, we still keep fighting. Like you still keep going. And I think so many of Fincher's films, and especially Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, have that outlook. And like 
that's Christmas, man. You just stuff <laughs> it out for one week. And then it's a whole new year of potential disappointment. So I, I, I've recently been teaching. I changed professions. And right. from a sociological standpoint, we talk about things um, when I'm teaching students about in the micro levels of society and then the macro levels of society. And mm -hmm. so what I love about this movie and what about Finch's I think he really elevates what is truly like a really graphic, dark, kind of grubby pulp novel. Very well yeah. executed as far as the uh, the propulsive plot beats and and consumable, mm -hmm. but it's kind of it does have its very trashy eye for an eye, rape for a rape, like disgusting <laughs> the right. elements to it. Um, right. But what I love about what he does is he's making a commentary on society at a macro level through this micro example of a family in that we're. Look at this beautiful, you know, uh, uh, glacial Swedish modernity, right? Everything is mm -hmm. pristine, and even in the uh, um, even in the conservation of tradition, everything's pristine. Everything's edges, and I just love the windows into like families, parts of the family who are Nazis, parts of the family yeah. who are deeply racist, parts of the family mm -hmm. who bribed people, parts of the family who, mm -hmm. you know, are still war profiteering in their grandest sense. You know, funny that, um, um, our guy, uh, Chris Plummer is in like the inside man and in this, mm -hmm. and that's sort of like, he's nicer in this, but it's still that the family in some way, um, has benefited. And I think that Stockholm and everything that they do there. I love watching that comparison because that elevation of like, look at this pristine, look at this pristine conservation, look at everything out there. And then once you dig into this movie, it just, the darkness, like even the characters that purport to be dark or purport to be a bit dodgy, um, they're nowhere near as dark as the secrets that they have to wade through. And I love that elevation because I think that if there's one thing that's missing, it's very tactile. It's very, it moves the same way in the original, but that was what I got from here is this kind of clockwork. We do, please don't, do not disturb, you know, do, if you disturb the pristine quality, you're, we're going to lose it. We're going to lose mm -hmm. this facade altogether. And I, I really love that. And what you said about the connections to, I love the three women in this movie, his daughter, obviously Rooney Mara, um, uh, so much. And then, um, oh my God, I've completely uh, blanked on her name. Robin Wright, who plays yeah. his editor because yeah. Mikhail is connecting to all these people and they're all trying to find their connections in this world as best they can. And mm -hmm. that, and, and it's just like, all you can say, all you can savor is that in amongst all this crap that has happened to us and this bleak outlook of like, oh, here comes another one. Um, is just these people trying to find meaning and trying to find connections. And I think that this movie does that in such a better way than the others. And, you know, why I think some of the beats in this movie hurt so much, you know, there's nothing more tragic than Lisbeth chucking a brand new leather jacket into the bin at the end. That's why it still kills me. You're like, oh, he missed it. He didn't realize mm -hmm. that that's what it was. And yeah, um, it's, yeah, it's a, that's why I like this movie so much. Yeah. So like if, you know, somehow you've been under a rock for <laughs> decades, <laughs> I do, do not know the plot of the girl with the dragon tattoo. Um, but, you know, it was a best-selling book by Stieg Larsson and it is the first in a trilogy focused on this goth genius bisexual hacker named Elizabeth Salander. Um, and it sort of is over the course of three books, 
an unraveling of her sort of mysterious past. And increasingly in the books, sort of this chronicle of deep-seated misogyny and patriarchy within not both like Swedish government and life, but like pretty much everywhere, right? I mean, it serves as, it's, it's specific enough to obviously be about Sweden and universal enough to be a commentary on the sort of utilitarian way that a government can throw away a young girl because they need her father more than they need her. Yes. So like as a trilogy, I think that it works, including that pulpy stuff, which you have mentioned. But then as a standalone film, you have this fitting so well within Fincher's filmography. And I think it works as its own thing. I think like you mentioned, like the end of this film still works as like a character arc for Lisbeth and still provides like an effective end for the like the Wennerstrom situation and the Vanger family storyline and all this stuff. So just like somehow, if you have no idea what this story is. So like basically the plot of Girl with the Dragon Tattoo is that there is a series, I would say two main mysteries. Yes. The first is that there is this like financial corruption case that the journalist Mikhail Blomkvist is exploring played by Daniel Craig, incredibly hot. Hottest movie, hot, maybe. Hot, And you know why it's hot? Because the Hollywood lie is so many guys like get pumped up before their shirtless yeah. scenes. And this is right yeah. around the time of Bond. So he's really fit. He's in great news. Yeah. He looks tremendous. But looks I love, but Girl Dragon Tattoo, there's none of that lie over the pump up. Mm-mm. He's Mm-mm. just a lithe, sexy, older man. And wiry. Like, wiry. Lean. And mm. uh, his glasses, it's a miracle. Yeah. The way he holds them yeah. on his face. <laughs> the, the, the like half tilt weird thing yeah. it's it's yeah. actually defies science um so his hotness plus uh the gravitational pull of his face both yeah. tremendous everyone is wearing sweaters which oh. are a very hot clothing item nobody yes. understands incredibly hot <laughs> a well-fitted sweater is like you know chef's kiss so you have mikhail and he is caught up in this like financial corruption case and he is sued for libel and the court like rules against him they're like yeah you absolutely lied the information you brought against this guy Wennerstrom was bullshit and so that basically like ruins his career he needs to do prison time (laughs) like the magazine that he works for is like how did you get bamboozled like he is convinced that he was right but it is a severe public disgrace so needing to find something to do with his time basically (laughs) like a paycheck and because he sort of wants to like flee stockholm he takes a job with like the Vanger Corporation, but really with its patriarch, Henrik, who is played by Christopher Plummer. And many years ago, um, Henrik's grand niece, this teenage girl, Harriet, disappeared from 
their island because of course they live on like a family compound <laughs> island <laughs> like north sweden because it, like, like just just when you thought having to go over to your fair family home is any yeah. it could be not be more creepy they have a family yeah. island how the family fuck do I escape these people accessible by just one bridge that's it and like basically when it's winter they're like frozen in so henrik is like i can't find harriet we've never been able to find harriet we don't know if she's alive we don't know if she's dead but every year i receive like a pressed flower i think it's on her birthday yeah it's and on her like birthday a really, every year. like a really beautiful motif that like fincher gets a lot of like visual like evocative impact out of so Mikhail is basically like, well, I have nothing else to do. So sure, like, let's do it. And then in the course of trying to figure out what happens to Harriet, he becomes connected with aforementioned hacker, Lisbeth, who of course is like a genius and a fantastic researcher. And together they try to find out what happened to Harriet. And what I love about, as I was describing it, is that they're like, 30 other things that I haven't <laughs> yeah. mentioned. Yeah. But like, this is so, like, as you mentioned, it's so plot driven, but like in such an accessible way that while you're watching it, it's just like one thing after another, like very, again, like in typical Fincher fashion, like very clearly laid out so that you can follow it, but still like, such sprawl like if you were to sort of try to like storyboard or like <laughs> yeah or like slow chart this story it's like oh i okay well this other thing happens and then this other thing happens and then there's this other thing that's happening while these things are happening and so it is very encompassing i would say yes and within all of that story as you mentioned there's some really ugly brutal shit and pretty much all of it is focused on Lisbeth I yeah. would say yes yeah. and and I love that you said that because it's actually the interlocking of these two converging forces like Lisbeth and Mikhail and they have to mm -hmm. do some work because the Mikhail part has more moving parts to contextualize the yeah. story but then it becomes this two-hander that is like going 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 and then once they collide it's like the movie is something completely different it's mm -hmm. in, in the, at the same time because then all of the all of the tendrils of the story get tied together and yeah look it is a it is a brutal one Lisbeth's life is it's just a litany of brutality in this and and watching her you know survive really just survive is kind of miraculous because it, it just mm -hmm. seems like every single force even institutionally is geared up to make her is to suppress her is to oppress her is to um it, it's 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 kind of bleak and brilliant and and i think that that's the um there's some real satisfaction even if it's perverse of like there are so many movies and i've you know i just recently watched one it's like an uh, a western called the last train to gun hill and okay um it's by sturgis who directed uh magnificent seven and and the great escape and I just, I'm sick of seeing poor wives get raped in movies. I'm just yeah. sick of it. Like it's, it's really hard and it's very outmoded. And obviously it's just a device at this point, but it's still like, 
the fact that it still exists is kind of like depressing. Um, and it's only that you're seeing it in an older movie that it works. But I would say that in this, what was kind of striking and shocking about Stieg Larsson's original novel is that he took this trope of like, oh my God, here's another victim that Mikhail is potentially going to have to find along the way. And then she turns into this vengeful angel. And I think that that's mm-hmm. where some of the, I don't know what the hell they're called, like the post Larson's death sequels have like turned her into this weird, like almost like a an exploitation heroine. Uh, oh. And I think, like, have you seen this new uh, Girl on the Spider's Web? No, I did uh, not yeah. watch the Claire Foy one. Yeah, actually. that it's just, it's... It's not good. Um, it's really. Should it's, I wiki it after? No, yeah. whatever. Tell me what happens. Spoiler, no, I, I mean, it's it's all about her backstory and miraculously, Lisbeth has like a sister who you know is oh, is. Oh yeah 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 yeah. Yeah. Yes. So that that's the thing, and she's like the the omega to her alpha in that she's like blonde and striking and wears red, and it's just like ugh, it's just so tiring. Well, we do know about the sister in the original trilogy, right? Yes. Yes. Okay, so do they just like retcon her into being like different? Yeah, uh, they, they they make her like an agent of chaos for another force. So oh. it's, it's like a collision course between those two things. Like she's, mm. Elizabeth, you know, has a villain that's like one step ahead of her the whole way. And then you find out it's her sister and it puts them on a collision oh, course together. Boo. Boo. Um, exactly. It deserves a boo because it sucks. I thought, I thought her sister was just like, you know, like a... A nice lady with some kids. You know what I mean? Like, in, you know, it's funny because, like, one of the defining char- characteristics, right, is that, like, as we keep talking about characters searching for connection, yeah. like, Lisbeth in the book goes to visit her mother, who is yeah. institutionalized. And her mother always asks either, like, where's your sister? Mm. Or she thinks Lisbeth is her sister. Yes. So, Something I always found very effective in the book is that, as you mentioned, there's no like discussion of who her sister really is. So I just assumed she was like some boring lady who like put her family behind. <laughs> yeah, who just who left Sweden, like migrated yeah. to England, married someone else. Who gives a shit? But yeah. that I I love that, and there's yeah. so little of that in. Yeah. It's like we don't need to know about Lisbeth's sister. No. At all. It's fine. Like, and, and, and I think that had uh, Fincher had his way, we may, it, especially because, you know, the second film starts to be, um, you know, a bit more of a courtroom drama and those elements start to feed their way through, you would start to see those different layers um, as Mikhail tries to connect back with Lisbeth about those things un- unfolding and we just didn't get to right. do it in that. But yeah, no, it's just, oh, it was so ghastly. And also it was just, it was just very popcorny. And this movie is, for me, everything because of its restraint. It's everything because of its composition. It's er- and um, Stellan Skarsgård. We have to talk about this in this movie. So before we talk about that, I want to hear what is your favorite pre-Lisbeth Mikhail meetup scene. My favorite. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so hard. Because I know I will give you mine as your yeah, father. No, you don't, no, yeah, you give, give me yours. You give me yours. Okay. I, well, what needs to be said is that Trent Reznor does the oh. music for this. And it is, once again, an exceptional, like, <laughs> muscular, like, it is a score that takes up space. And I think 
the best example of that is when Elizabeth is getting on the train and somebody tries to steal her laptop. Mm. Scene is practically silent, I think. I think you only have the score. I don't think you have dialogue. But it is fantastic in how it communicates to you Elizabeth's physicality and scrappiness because Fincher follows the two of them, right? Somebody grabs her backpack, she takes off. They are sprinting up the escalator. They are fighting on like, I think that they're on opposing escalators, if I recall. And they're like fighting in the space as like one of them is moving up and one of them is moving down. Eventually they're on like the same level. The camera is like swinging around showing you like the chaos of this and eventually she like grabs her backpack and I if I'm remembering correctly like throws it down the escalator like that smooth like and then like vaults herself down that same area and then grabs her backpack and then like fluid motion like runs onto a train it is like very quick but it is so energetic and visceral and this movie is like long stretches where things are sort of not tedious at all but like methodical yes and like physical movement and then you have like this scene and like we've talked about trigger warning all that stuff like the brutal rape scenes which are very physical Mm. and interrupt this otherwise sort of cold step-by-step unraveling of these mysteries so like I think that dichotomy is very effective yeah I love when she bashes him with it like he grabs it and then she just goes clobbers him and then the vault Mm -hmm. all happens pretty seamlessly it's like Mm -hmm. you think that this person's unawares this sort of like dainty little goth girl is not going to be that physical presence but she batters him um Mm -hmm. I was just thinking about motifs I kind of love I love everything around Mikhail moving into the cottage and continually trying to find phone reception. Like he's just like, he's just looking at his phone. There's something about that. I just, every time I just like a titter, like every time I see him do that, cause I'm like this guy, the react, like, you know, there's, there's a beautiful scene that leads into that, which is with Heinrich and, and Mikhail, which is Plummer and Craig. And he takes him through this story he sees the he sees the flowers and yeah. he's immediately you know his journalistic spidey sense is just like okay this is great like i i can actually maybe do something here and mm-hmm. the stark reality of how damn cold and how isolated he is is that whole sequence of his loneliness and him starting to try and find a rhythm of piecing things together i really like that because it is process porny and but it's 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 that's the kind of things that i like but i i just love that he's so trying to find a signal he's desperate Mm -hmm. to find a signal i just want to find a signal that i can he's in the cabin (laughs) can't find it in the cabin he goes to the grocery store can't find it in the grocery grocery store store. yeah it's the best glasses are like hanging off his face (laughs) (laughs) and yeah and what's wonderful about that sequence too is that again we keep going back to this idea of like trying to find a bond with someone or something to like ground you in the moment 
and he befriends this stray cat that is yes. just like walking around the cabin and it is very quick but like he's trying to find the signal for the cabin can't find it he goes to the grocery store and at the very last second he grabs two cans of cat food and i feel like in that moment just that little detail you know so much about who mikhail is and how he prioritizes like extending a hand to someone and that's sort of a journalistic thing like you're sort of trying to like build like a network of connections and like it's you know people say it's like a connection business all that crap but like <laughs> it feels like more genuine than that and so it's like it's buying the cans of cat food later on when he finds out that Lizbeth hacked his computer and yes. he goes to her, it's bringing her breakfast and like, I love that he takes her breakfast. He just thinks yeah. about that and he opens a fridge and is like, huh? And then just shuts the fridge. It's so good. Yeah. And then he like waits in the kitchen while she like says goodbye to the girl that spent the night. Like he is taking in everything, but maybe not judging it, just sort of like experiencing it and taking it all in and absorbing it. And to your point of like, this being a very process driven movie in the same way as Seven and in the same way as Zodiac and in the same way of so many of Fincher's films, I love what he is able to reveal about people through the procedures and processes with which they organize their lives. And you see so much of that with Mikhail. Yeah, it's, I, I, there's another touch, one of my favorite moments in the movie that is exactly that. It's where he's quit smoking mm-hmm. and he goes to the to a cafe around the corner from the courthouse after the worst decision mm-hmm. that he's basically sued from libel. The magazine is almost going to fold. He goes and buys a packet of cigarettes and buys a lighter. You watch him unravel it. You watch him light a cigarette outside and throw the pack and the lighter away because he just wants that one. He just like, he needs that one cigarette. And I just, mm-hmm. that for me as a former smoker is some deeply relatable shit. Like I don't mm-hmm. want the pack, nor do I want the lighter, but right now can I just have one so I can walk away and have this and then that's going to be that. And I, I do love that. And I also, once they connect though, the surprise sex scene between the two of them is. Is can- it a surprise? I <laughs> know. Oh, but 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 it's it's so great. Like it it's isn't so it just great. the isn't it the best? Like he's cut. He comes in, yeah. she stitches him up, and then he's like, yeah. "Oh my head!" And then bang, sex. I'm like, "Yeah, yeah." It's a it's great. It's I just, mean, we need to contextualize this more. We need to contextualize this more. So like they're on the island. They sure. ask you all these questions about Harriet. They are meeting the Nazis and the family. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and they are catching on to the fact that there was definitely a serial killer affiliated somehow with either the company or with the family. Unclear which could be both. So they're like ruffling some feathers. And within that, Mikhail is like out for a run. I don't remember if it's in the book, he's out for a jog. I don't remember if in the movie he's out for a run or if he's just- I think he might be searching for phone signal again. He's just walking through the woods. And, and then it's like, bang, there's a shot. Yeah, there's a shot. Hits him in the face, in the eye, like above the eye. Comes back to the cabin, like 
trusts Lisbeth enough to stitch him up. She goes and she gets like vodka, right? To like yes. clean his cut. <laughs> and then like they each take a swig of vodka and then she just takes off her pants. Yeah. There's no precursor. No. That's why I said surprise, because I'm like, whoa, whoa. Yeah. 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 It's kudos to her, man. She just goes for it. And he's she... like, this is probably a bad idea. And she's like, shut up, let's do it. <laughs> Consent is important, and he does. <laughs> yeah, he consents. Sure. Yes, absolutely. We can unequivocally say that. But oh man, it's just yeah. like a nice. It's it's like receiving a package you weren't going to expect. You know, you get yeah. a present in the mail, and you're like, yeah. oh, yeah, this but is this for me. The present is how perfectly their bodies fit together, <laughs> because <laughs> it is once again an impressive fluid sex scene yes like she gets on top she's going for it like good for you she's crushing it and then just daniel craig and all of his like james bond physicality like rises up off the bed and flips them over it's incredibly erotic and like such a good again like <clears throat> a lot of fincher's movies i had to look away <laughs> like there's too much a lot of fincher's movies like determinedly not sexual yes right like, actually think that he is interested in sex but i think that he is interested again in like collaboration and partnership and like the different ways those things manifest yes as this relationship develops you get all these like great lived-in moments between them and the two things that always make me laugh are at one point later on Lisbeth is like researching something and Mikhail puts his hand like under her shirt for like a few minutes and then like he moves away and like real deadpan she's like no put your hand back under my shirt put your hand back there yeah put it back there like I want that and then after that it's like they're trying to figure out like where could harriet be they sort of have a theory and then it's another sex scene where lisbeth is on top and you see mikhail's face and he is just like completely not there he is like <laughs> thinking about the case he's just waiting for her to be done and he almost like i think he says something to her or she senses it and she's like i'm almost done like just chill <laughs> and then like <laughs> finishes he launches into like his next theory as to like what could be happening so like there's so much established there about how well they work together just within the actual like oh this is like a pretty effective hot sex scene but it's always the work like the work is always there they're getting what they've actually like teamed up to do yeah, I love that the romance doesn't jeopardize. So many movies do the romance that then jeopardizes the thing. And Fincher, maybe it's style, maybe it's his decision. Mm -hmm. And it's definitely in it's definitely in the text because the drive is still there from both of them in the text. But it's like he yeah. he catches that and goes, I love that because even though they are being intimate, even though this connection is being forged that's incredible, they're not they're not in the business of jeopardizing this. This is too important for both of them. Um and I mean it's, I, I can't get enough of that. And I also love, um, I just love that it's in the vetting of Mikhail that he goes back 
to find like to find that it is Lisbeth, like it's in the vetting. He's like, how did you get these records? How did you do these things? Cause she's not operating yeah. with any kind of journalistic ethics. She's just like hacking no. people's emails and reading them and doing whatever she needs to do. And yeah. what's really cool is that she's like, you know, he's, he's a pretty generous lover based on mm-hmm. my assessment. And it's just like, mm-hmm. oh, of course. So then it's like, oh, we're compatible. Let's do this thing. And God bless yeah. you. It's just, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's just good. And he's so he terrific. He doesn't get any, he doesn't get rated for this performance nearly as much as he should. No. I mean, she got the Academy Award, which like, I understand again, Academy loves like a transformative performance and like she got the piercings and she got the haircut and like she lost some weight and like all that stuff. She wore, she wore a pubic wig. Bless her heart. Right. Bless her heart. And like, I think (laughs) that, you know, it is an exceptional performance from her still probably her best um because i don't love ghost story as much as some other people maybe so, carol is carol it yeah maybe carol i guess that could be it i feel like that's sort of reactive though and i feel like this is like very much like they both are driving the plot forward like on a parallel track but to your point like for craig it's not really showy right but it yes. is grounded and it's full of those little touches that tell you that he really understands who this character is like there's a moment where he hasn't left yet like but he is sitting at his computer just in like his little black like boxer shorts yeah and he's like turned around and his body is like twisted all weird but he is talking to Robin Wright's character about like where his career could go or like all of his scenes with Plummer where it's yeah. sort of like he's sort of humoring Plummer because at first he doesn't really believe anything that Henrik is saying but then like when the pieces begin to come together he does a very good job of showing like surprise and like satisfaction on behalf of Mikhail, and then very quickly, like, I got to get back to work. And I'm thinking of the scene where his daughter unexpectedly comes to visit. And so they have been pulling together this information about the crimes, and they have pulled together, like, the initials of, I believe they've put together, like, the initials of the women, and maybe, like, I think it's their first, it's like, it's what they think are dates. There's names yeah. and numbers. Yeah. And when he sees his daughter, there's that great scene. She she yeah. picks up, like, she takes that investigation as him like a whole redis- rediscovering his religion and takes it yeah. to the next thing. Yeah, because they are just on the train station. He is saying goodbye. He is not a good father. He's a pretty bad father. Yeah, he's not great. Um, and he knows that and his daughter knows that and she chooses to love him anyway and accept him for whatever he can provide and as they are parting as you just said she's like oh yeah like don't be so hard on the catholics or something and he's like what are you talking about <laughs> she's like oh yeah they're biblical verses okay bye love you <laughs> <laughs> and, like, he's so dumbfounded in that moment like he just stands like a second too long on the train platform and then my man like hustles it out of there because yes. like he's got new info and like he has to figure it out. So like the movie is so defined by these like changing rhythms, which I think Zodiac did as well. Like that's 
like investigative work. Like yes. very quickly, and some things don't. But to your point, you wanted to talk about the horrifyingness of Stellan Skarsgård. Do you yeah, wanna- yeah. Let let let's let let's do two things. Firstly, is if you haven't seen Girl with the Dragon Tattoo with a commentary. I can extremely re- recommend it because I've gone through all the Fincher commentaries as part of the Zodiac Chronicle research, and mm-hmm. he if, is effusive about Daniel Craig. He just cannot mm-hmm. say enough nice things about him. And I think for the guy who's James Bond, I think a lot of people dismiss that, but he's like, he's just so good. He makes so many choices. He's just doing the stuff. He's so fun to work with. And I think that they just never had a chance to work together again, but it's so great. But I just wanted to talk about the, this might be one of Finch's most haunting villain performances from Stellan Skarsgård simply because there is something so um, sickeningly real uh, about the thought of a person who is out there who is so attuned to human weakness um, in the form of cordiality and politeness Mm -hmm. and luring people based on just this implicit way that you think that – that you think you should behave. And Mm -hmm. so that line of like, you knew that you're in trouble. You knew that coming back, like rather than be impolite, you put yourself in this cataclysmic danger. And that line like haunts me every single day since I thought, saw this movie, I'm just like, Oh, that's it. Like so many movies. And I think if I had to guess what truly drew Fincher to this, it's probably that element because so many times in his movies with killers and why did you do this? And, and I think it's it's great in Zodiac, you know, the the car tire, that's one of the moments where you see, like, why did you do this? Or maybe thinking we can get out of this at the Lake Berryessa scene, et cetera. But here mm-hmm. it's like, oh, no, all I have to do is play on your, you know, you're being a good citizen almost of, like, politeness and I will get you. And I, I, I love his clinical and ferocious manner in that. And then there's also nothing better in the whole world than him playing Bjork's uh, Sail Away um, while he's about to talk to Daniel Craig. It's just the best choice. It's so hilarious. Uh, I can't get yeah. enough of it. Yeah, I think, yes. I think there's so much about Stellan that is like deeply haunting and that it is very, you know, there are elements of this character that are sort of... I mean, strange is too bland of a word, but you get a sense that like half of his motivation is because there was a family lineage of serial killer stuff, you know, yes, like a deep, profound hatred of women and foreigners that guided certain people in the family forward. And I will say to the book's credit and the film's credit, it is very much to your earlier point of like, yeah, a lot of people benefited from World War II, like a yeah, lot, like a lot. not just Germany, but like a lot. And so I think that is playing with like, what is that legacy? And how does that shape like nationalism, racism, sexism, xenophobia, all these things decades later? So you have a lot of like legacy stuff um, that is guiding Stellan Skarsgård Martin. And then you also have just the very easy, casual, everyday men are violent toward women and a lot of people don't notice and a lot of people don't care. Yes. And so I think something that he does so well is like 
very matter-of-factly put that forth to Mikhail. Like when you were here having dinner with me a couple months ago with me and my girlfriend, I had like an immigrant woman down here in a cage and I was like torturing her and raping her. Like he's so blasé in that line delivery. And that is like the chilling horror of it, right? Again, very much like Zodiac, very much like Seven with these villains that have like these interior codes of conduct that they don't mind talking about because they're so certain that they're the right thing to do and they've never been punished before so why would they be punished now and i don't remember if this makes it into the movie um but in the book he has this monologue i think it does make it into the movie but he sort of has this monologue where he's talking about like what really gets him off (laughs) (laughs) is the sense that like what he feels from the women that like if they do everything right he'll let them go yeah he, he, he it's not the whole monologue i don't think but it's definitely in a a version of that a version yeah. of that in the film to him yeah where it's like you know what is most fulfilling to him is seeing the women realize that they're never going to get out of this and that's so much worse so right? dark it's so dark so much worse than saying like oh yeah like i love strangling them or whatever (laughs) (laughs) like like, you know not to be like flippant about being strangled but like that's not that's not the like lingering horrifying thing it's with how casually he's almost bored yeah when he's telling mikhail like yeah i've done this for like decades like nobody cares no no, nobody cares nobody finds them when they do find them no one can track me yeah and he's so blasé that that's what makes the comedy beat of him like huh i've never had a man in this swing yes i've never well i did i did have a man before but it was my duty to my father yeah again just like and this is a strength of the script and like how complimented it is by the performances. There's no fluff at all in how any of these people talk to each other. And there's no fluff at all in this torture chamber. He's like, this is what I'm doing. This is why I do it. Mm, Yeah. Okay. I'm going to string you up here in this like meat rack and like, (laughs) let's see what you got under your pants. You know, like it's so cold. Yeah. it's awful daniel craig like his body goes through it right (laughs) like he like he is like pulled up in this insane noose thing there's a plastic bag over his head again because it's fincher like the compositions are so crisp like you cannot look away from like the gasping huge breaths that daniel craig is taking as he's about to be I'm assuming raped, tortured, and dismembered. And then, you know, avenging angel Elizabeth Salander comes in there with a golf club and clocks Stella Skarsgård in the face. (laughs) She clocks him. And uh, there's one final beat that I want to talk about because I've got to wrap up with you, but I was just going to say, can I kill him? (laughs) He says, yes. yes. May I kill him? May I kill him? Sorry. May I kill him? Yes. 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 It's, It's great. It's so yeah. wonderful. Look, 
I'm so grateful for you to exist, let alone being on this show. You are truly one of my favorite and I think one of the best critical voices in the world. And I wish I could reach hey. you in the Zoom screen and give you a big cuddle um, because I Thanks, miss you man. terribly. And I'm so grateful that we get to have these chats. And hopefully we found some enjoyable things in one of the bleakest, most awful uh, content-wise movies uh, that we could have discussed for Christmas. And maybe you can too. And look, if your grandma hasn't seen it, throw it on for her. You know what I'm saying? What's the worst that could happen? She could just say that you shouldn't come over for Christmas next year. And I'm sorry, that might be a good thing. So. Might, be, might be a good thing. Rox, yeah. you're the absolute best. Thanks, Thank man. You. you too. All right, take care.